My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. A worship leader got in trouble one Sunday for skipping that verse with my wife. Baptists have a bad habit sometimes of skipping the third verse. And in the church we were in, they skipped the third verse. And that's probably one of her favorite verses as well as mine in, a, in any hymn. And don't know why you'd skip that one. Turn to John chapter 15 if you would. We are in the middle of a study in Romans. And John chapter 15 is right in the middle of Romans. Um, this is an example of the daily Bible reading changing the sermon schedule. We'll go right back to Romans next week. But I just wanted, as I read on abiding in Christ, I just wanted to make sure that we're not disconnecting abiding in Christ from justification, sanctification, glorification, everything we're reading about and studying about and talking about in the book of Romans is describing for us abiding in Christ. Life in Christ, following Christ, the salvation He has purchased for us. So I thought we'd just take a quick break this week and look at abiding in Christ from John 15, 1 through 11. Obviously, we won't exhaustively preach all of these verses, um, but just focusing in on what it means to abide <clears throat> in Christ and connecting that with what we're studying in Romans, so that we see it together and not distinct. But look in John chapter 15. The glorious, another I am statement of Jesus says this I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it might bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of it by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers and the branch, branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Thus far, God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, help us to find our joy in the true joy giver. The only source of real, true, and lasting joy, which is you. 
Help us to grow in our understanding of what it means to abide in you, Lord Jesus. Help me to preach your word in the power of the Spirit. Help us to hear it in the power of the Spirit. May we love you through loving it. May we seek to understand it and live in its light. Thank you for your goodness and grace to us in Christ. Bless the preaching and the hearing of your word. It is in Jesus' holy name that I pray and ask it. Amen. Bring up the withered branch, if you would. Now, I want you to, this is not a great branch, but just for purposes of illustration, I wanted to use it. You can see that this branch looks dry. It looks lifeless. There are no leaves on it. There's no fruit on it. It would probably snap very easily if you had it in your hand. Why is this branch that way? Because it's not connected. It's not connected to the vine. It's not if it, from a tree. If it's an apple tree branch, it's not connected to the tree. So it has no life. And it bears no fruit. And it's not good for anything, but maybe if it's not too rotted, to start a fire, to be part of a fire. This branch is not abiding in the vine or in the, the tree, so it has no life. And many people are just like this branch. They exist. You can see them. They're moving. They have physical life. But spiritually, they have no life. Maybe they even profess faith in Jesus and go to church. Maybe they were even one of His twelve disciples. But spiritually speaking, relationally to God... They're dead because they're not connected to the vine. There's a danger in being in church. No, I'm not just talking about sleeping, but although that is dangerous. Remember. There's a danger with being just familiar with the things of God. Maybe growing up in the midst of the church. There was a danger in being near Jesus. Judas saw every one of his miracles and heard every one of his sermons. But he was not abiding in Jesus. I'll end with this question, so I'll start with it. How about you? See, as we've been in Romans and talking about the glories of salvation, we've seen that we all need a Savior and that Christ is that Savior and that we're justified through faith in Him. We're reconciled to God. We are united to Christ through faith and cleansed from all of our sin, clothed in His righteousness, filled with His Spirit. We have His Word, so we have everything necessary. So we're justified in Christ. We are sanctified in Christ. We have the power of the Spirit and everything necessary to grow in grace. 
to grow in Christ's likeness, the fruit of growth in grace. And we will be glorified. And so we've been talking about salvation in the book of Romans, and that's what we're talking about here. As Jesus is speaking to those disciples who were right there in front of Him during this farewell discourse or this upper room discourse, whatever you want to call it, and He's speaking like in chapter 17 through them to us and communicating a vital message that we see all through Scripture. Even in the book of Hebrews, beware that there is not in you an evil heart of unbelief that will cause you to depart from the living God. Flip it. Be sure to abide in Jesus. So today we're going to look at these verses. Um, I'm obviously going to have to pick and choose. Like I said, I can't exhaustively preach all through this in one sermon. But we're going to talk about what does it mean to be a fruitful branch? How, How can I be a fruitful branch in the vine? How can I be a faithful follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? So we'll, we'll focus on, on abiding in Him and fruit bearing. Just quickly, two things this passage does not teach that I don't have time to deal with this morning. This passage does not teach, teach that you can lose your salvation. I mean, we'll see as we go further in Romans that everyone He justified, He glorified. Now, there's a lot of false converts that become evident as time goes on, Right? But this passage is not teaching that you can lose your salvation. So the branches broken off. Think of, think of folks like Judas. And then the second thing I want to just point out, he's not teaching. He's not teaching that Christ's law is somehow different than God's law. And you'll see what I mean when we get on into this passage. Jesus' commandments are God's commandments, exemplified, taught, fully applied. You see that from Matthew 5 and other places. We won't have time to dig into that. But I want us to just laser in and focus on abiding. I mean, there's something serious going on when you have one word ten times between verse 4 and 10. Abide is in this text between verses 4 and 10 ten times. So there was a message Jesus was getting through to those early disciples and through having the Word of God to us. There's a message coming through to us about the absolutely essential nature of abiding in Christ. So the main point, uh, abide in Christ by being united to Him by faith and thus drawing life and purpose from Him. First, abiding in Christ means that I am drawing life from Him. He said, I am the vine. And in verse 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. Jesus said in the first verse, I am the true vine. I am the vine that all the other vines pointed to. Right? Why would he say it like that? Well, numerous, numerous Old Testament passages refer to Israel as the vine. And almost always as the Old Testament refers to Israel as the vine, it points out Israel's unfaithfulness as the vine. But we know that Israel is a picture, is a type, 
is a shadow pointing forward to a reality. And we see that Christ is saying that He is that true and greater reality. Let me give you one, one example from Hosea 10.1 of Israel being the vine. Israel is a luxurious vine or a luxuriant vine that yields its fruit. But watch how that turns. The more his fruit increased, the more altars he built. Think to Baal. <laughs> he improved his pillars. And there is speaking of the fertility pillars. So idolatry. The way the, way the vine was, was flowering was into idolatry. Israel was not a spiritually fruitful vine as it, as it would be to be honestly and truly following the Lord. Surely there was a remnant in Israel always that God preserved for His name. But most branches, most branches on the vine, if you will, were disconnected, fruitless, bearing bad fruit, really. They were withered and dead. And Jesus comes, and we'll see in, in chapter 11 something similar when we get to in Romans about the olive tree, another picture of Israel. Jesus comes as the true and greater vine, as the true and greater Israel, as the faithful Israel, the faithful son that was brought out of Egypt. The one who glorifies the Father and fulfills all righteousness and saves His people. And listen, all who were in Jesus then are connected to that true vine. They are grafted in. Jesus being the true and greater Israel, then we even as unnatural branches are grafted in and draw strength from that vine. And he says, the Father is the vine dresser. The, the real, the, the, the branches that are not withered, the branches that are and will be fruitful are, are many times pruned. And I, I, if you're a gardener, you're familiar with pruning things so that they will be more fruitful. But pruning, as you look at it, you think thinking you're a branch and you look and you know what pruning is, is cutting some off. That, that's often a very painful process but why are these painful providences in our lives what does the father do when he is pruning the vine he's pruning it so that it will produce its intended fruit that it will be a healthy branch that produces good fruit all pruning all pruning that God brings into our lives has a good purpose in it God's never trying to harm us when He removes something or changes something or prunes us. It's always that He's making us as, our, as the branch that we are more fruitful. And that's just something we have to take by faith a lot of the times because we won't be able to intellectually figure out how these things work this way. But He's able to do good and make work for good things that in and of themselves are not good or things that maybe many times we wouldn't wish to have. But the Father is seeing to it that all of the branches that are connected to the Son are fruit-bearing branches, are healthy branches. I have another picture of a healthy grape branch for you this morning. Now, that is what a grape branch is supposed to do. 
it's supposed to produce fruit or grapes. And when it is connect, healthy and when it is connected to the vine and rightly cared for, this is what happens. This is what happens. Think of this and, and using the image, the symbol of the vine and the branches that all of the Father's pruning is to produce this kind of abundant fruitfulness in our lives. And we know that we're not all equally fruitful. You know, the parable of the soil, some 30, some 60, some 100. But God produces the good fruit of Christ's likeness in every branch that He grafts into the vine. Everyone. Suppose you take this branch and maybe you all have some of these branches in your fridge at home and you break it off. You break the branch off and you take the grapes off and you make wine or you eat them or make chicken salad with them, whatever you might do. And you lay that branch on the counter and you wait for some more grapes to pop out on it. Might need a counselor. Not how it works. Apart from being connected to the vine, these branches would never produce the fruit. So every branch, yes, that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away, and every one that does, he prunes. Christ speaking to the disciples, you're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. And then he gets to verse 4. And we start seeing this word. Abide in me. And I in you. If you're abiding in me, I'm abiding in you. That kind of flavor. And as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. To, to abide, just the word means to remain or to stay. How do we remain or stay? Well, at first, first, thing, first thing it means to abide in Christ is to be vitally connected to Him. Remember, and we had the picture of the fruitful vine. If we are connected to Him, we will be fruitful. Why? Because He's producing the fruit. God produces the fruit in those He saves. The word means to remain or stay. Um, to Think of believing in, trusting in, clinging to, resting in Christ, having your focus on Christ, and Christ is all of your hope. He is your connection to God or you don't have one. It speaks of a deep personal relationship with Christ. So being connected to Him, dependent upon Him, and continuing with Him. See, the, 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 the branches that God connects to the vine, which is Jesus, will stay with Him, will never break themselves off from Him, will never turn from Him, but will be fruitful in the produce of the kingdom, in the fruit of the Spirit, in Christ's likeness and in a growing measure. Because God is at work in all 
that he saves. So the purpose of the grape branch is to produce grapes. And it can only do so if it's connected to the vine. The purpose of the Christian is to produce the fruit of Christ's likeness. And it can only do so by drawing life and fruit from the vine, which is Jesus. He's like, you you can do nothing apart from me unless you abide in me. Verse 5. And notice this. This is another little picture. The branch doesn't produce itself. The vine produces the branch. Right? Not the other way around. The branch didn't just stop and hop over one day and decide to get connected to the vine. No, the vine produced the branch. Just another beautiful picture of God's sovereignty and bringing life from death and choosing a people and giving them to His Son and bringing them to faith. We're all born from the vine. And therefore we are abiding in the vine. Jesus, that true and greater Israel, that true and greater vine we're in him it's very interesting one of the things that was decorating the temple at the entrance into the sanctuary was decorated with a vine a grapevine so it's very pictures things Jesus could point to and say you see that that's me that whole thing is me including that. How are we grafted in though? How are we connected to the vine? Well, it's by faith. We're connected to Him, therefore dependent upon Him. Therefore, we, we continue with Him and draw life from Him because God has worked in us faith and repentance through the gospel. That's our study of Romans and justification. So first thing, what does abiding mean? The first thing abiding means is being united to Christ by faith. I mean, from our perspective, it's kids, it's believing in Jesus for our salvation. It's trusting in Him. It's not trusting in ourselves or our mom and dads or our circumstances or our gifts. In nothing, it's trusting in Christ and Christ alone. See, Jesus, the vine, came and saved His people. He came and lived under His own law, fulfilling all righteousness, deserving only blessing. He, he, he was perfectly, perfectly righteous in thought, word, and deed. Then why did He die on the cross? Well, He came as the Lamb of God. And He took our guilt upon Himself. And He took the wrath due us while He was on the cross to the extent that He could say it is finished, paid in full, to tell us die. And He was buried under the power of death for a time. And then He rose the third day. We just sang it in Christ alone. He rose victorious over death over our sin. He paid the penalty for our sin so that He can give us salvation as a free gift. And that free gift is received by faith. Faith. What must I do to be saved? The Philippian jailer asked. 
Well, do a lot of good works and clean up your act and come back tomorrow and we'll talk. Faithful saying, Christ Jesus came to save sinners. Paul said he was chief. We, some of us might argue with him, but... No, he, he came to save sinners. He received sinners. He came to save his, enemy, save his enemies. As we turn to him in faith, we're turning from ourselves and from our pursuit of joy and sin to him because we have been given spiritual life and then we receive Christ as our Savior. Are you trusting and resting in Jesus? Are you abiding in Jesus? Have you come into this deep, personal, intimate relationship pictured by marriage? At union, are you connected and dependent and continuing with Jesus? Are you abiding with Him? We have no salvation if not. A lot of us in America want to be the Lone Ranger. We want to be the branch that just decides when it kind of gets connected. Okay, I need a little bit of Jesus. Nope. Okay, you leave me alone, Jesus. I'm going to go over here and do this for a little while. Ooh, it's Sunday. I better go back over here and connect with Jesus. Personal, intimate, perpetual connection to the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Are you trusting in Him alone? If so, then by God's work in you, you are connected to the vine. You are abiding in the vine. You are now a living branch that is dependent on the vine for life and for fruit that he promises to produce. Notice what he said in verse 5. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. See, there's no such thing as a Christian in whom God doesn't produce the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Now, we, we're not glorified yet, so we're not all perfect in those things yet. But if you are in Christ, God has changed your life. He has changed your heart. You have a new heart, so you have new desires now. I mean, if you're just still running after the world, but naming it, naming it Christian, that's not Christianity. Conversion, one of the things it means is a turning. The, the, the direction of our soul is changed when, when we're given life, when we're born again. And we evidence that turn by repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're trusting in Jesus, if you're, you're, your hope is in Jesus this morning, you're a living branch with a new purpose, which we're already talking about some. Abiding in Christ means you have a new purpose, and that purpose is bearing fruit. Look back again at verse 5. He that abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Notice, keep the order right. He said, I am the vine, you're the branches. I'm Lord, you're not. <laughs> I'm at work in you for my glory and you should trust me that my glory is for your good. The vine determines the purpose of the branch. Christian, I mean, think about that grapevine and, and think about the branch personalizing it. If the branch is saying, I want to produce apples. 
I need some grapevine counseling. Because your, your purpose is now to produce grapes. Once you're birthed into that vine, that purpose is to produce grapes. And just as a Christian, once you're birthed into Jesus, that purpose is to produce God's fruit in you. The true purpose of your life now, Christian, is to live for Jesus, to abide in Him, to be able to say, for me to live is Christ. That means Christ defines my life by His grace and for His glory, sometimes as weak as I can barely hang on, I am following Jesus and desiring to love Him more and more and more. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 15, For the love of Christ controls us. His love for us and the fact that He has died for us has produced love in us for Him such that we want to follow Him and shape our life the way He said it should be shaped. The love of Christ controls us because we've concluded that as one has died for all, therefore all died, that he, and He died for all of us, that those who live, watch this, might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who for their sake died and was raised. So abiding in Jesus is, is, yes, being connected to Him and being saved by Him and drawing life from Him, but it's also drawing purpose from Him. He is Lord, and our lives are to be lived for Him. And if they're lived for Him, our lives are going to be, uh, are going to be fruitful for Him. Fruitful in growing measure. Don't compare ourselves with one another. We compare ourselves with Him and His Word. Some of us will be more fruitful at times and some at, at others. And some are getting pruned and some are bearing a lot of grapes. You know, but in general, fruitful. Fruitful in sanctification, fruitful in growth, fruitful in what we've been talking about, in putting sin to death and growing in righteousness in Romans. That's the kind of fruit we're talking about. And we've talked about this in Romans, and, and we see it here in, in this verse, that His purpose now is our purpose, and He is the one working in us. And how does He do that? And here is another example of why lovingly, hopefully graciously, I'm trying to steer you towards His Word. Because if you're not a Christian, it's what you need. The gospel, you need, you need to know it to come to faith in Jesus. And if you are a Christian, it's what you need. <clears throat> and look how Jesus talks about it. Abiding in Christ means abiding in His Word. Look at this. If you abide in Me, and My words abide in you, his word is the sap that we need. It is the life that we need flowing from the vine into us by the work of the Spirit so that we both come to faith and grow in grace. His word is the sap we need for this new life of fruit bearing. And His word defines and produces the fruit by the power of the Spirit. If you abide in me, and this is all part of the package, and my words abide in you. Are you abiding in his word? Think about what we said about abiding. Continuing in it. Drawing strength from it.
Think about the two parallel passages. And, Corey, if I don't get this right, I think I said Galatians last time. Ephesians 5, where it says, Be filled with the Spirit. The parallel passage in Colossians, what does it say in Colossians 3.16? Basically, be filled with the Word. Because the Spirit works with the Word to make us like Jesus, to produce this fruit. If I'm abiding, if I'm claiming to abide in Jesus, but I have no hunger for His Word, if I'm claiming to abide in Jesus, but I really don't pick up the Bible except to come to church on Sunday, I'm claiming something that probably isn't true. Or at least I'm so in a backslidden condition that I'm not consciously at least abiding in the Lord. Because Jesus says abiding in in Him involves abiding in His Word. So abide in Christ through His Word. It's through His Word that we commune with Him. It's through His Word that we abide in Him. It's through His Word that we draw life from Him by the power of the Spirit. And look what He says in in verse 7. If you abide in Me and My words abide in you. Now watch this. This is such a misapplied verse. It's one of these verses that we turn God into a genie and we got Him in a box and He's just got to do whatever we want. If anybody ever plucks that verse out of context and and tries to give it to you to justify, name it, and claim it, and all that stuff, ask them what is the context of that? What did he say all around that? Because that determines what this means. Here's what I'd say to you. Abiding in Christ will shape our praying. It will enable us to, to pray in a manner that conforms to His will. Look at it. In verse 7, you ask whatever you wish if you are abiding in me. Now notice the qualifications. If you're abiding in me and if my words are abiding in you and if his words abiding in me, his word is shaping me and controlling me and forming me into someone who desires what God desires. And therefore I'll be praying in line with what God desires. Because whatever this prayer is, it's one that's going to glorify the Father. Look in verse 8. It's one that's going to bear, work in me the bearing of the fruit we're talking about in this passage. And it's going to prove me to be a disciple of Jesus. So I'm praying into being fruitful for Christ. Honoring and glorifying the Father. Honoring Jesus. Listen, to pray in Jesus' name is to pray in line with Jesus' purposes. It's to pray under His authority and pray for what He tells us to do and pray for. It's not a magic bullet that you stamp on the end of your requests. That's not how it should be used. Jesus, to the best of my ability, I'm praying this prayer in line with who you are and what you've told me to be and do. And so I submit it in your name. All the while with the thoughts... Not my will, but your will be done. See, he says, if my words are abiding in you, then you're going to ask what you wish, and it's going to be done for you. Why? Because you're going to be asking according to the will of God. And even if you don't, that's how God's going to answer it. The 
John said that the confidence comes from knowing that we're praying in line with God's will. That's what he said in his, his epistle. That we, if we ask anything according to his will, we have what we have asked. So let the Apostle John in 1 John interpret what's going on here from the lips of Jesus. Abiding in Christ will shape my praying. It'll enable me to pray in a manner that conforms to His will. My prayer will first and foremost be the Lord's glory. How did Jesus teach us to pray? Oh God, give us this, 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 and this. Amen in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, I got it. I already got it. That's not... Your will be done. Your kingdom come. Your name be hallowed in all the, the earth. Yours is the power and the glory forever and ever. And I'm trusting you for daily bread and help to help me forgive those who sin against me. And I mean, go back and read that prayer. You'll see it's not one Kenneth Copeland would teach you. Our prayers first will glorify God and they'll focus on fruit bearing and in that way we'll prove, even in our prayer life and what flows out of it, we will prove to be his disciples. Maybe you don't read Sinclair Ferguson very much, but I would encourage you to. And I want to give you a quote from him uh, along these lines uh, this morning. But he said this. You go up and ask Sinclair Ferguson, Mr. Ferguson, what does it mean to abide in Christ? And in a much better accent than mine, he would tell you, In a nutshell, abiding in Christ means allowing His Word to fill our minds, comma, direct our wills, and transform our affections. Now we could just stop right there. That's what it means to abide in Christ, allowing His Word to fill my mind, direct my will, and transform my affections so that I desire what He desires. In other words, our relationship to Christ is so intimately, is intimately connected to what we do with our Bibles. Then, of course, as Christ's Word dwells in us and the Spirit fills us, we will begin to pray in a way consistent with the will of God and discover the truth of the Lord's often misapplied promise. You will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. When I desire Him, when I desire to glorify Him, when I desire His fruit to be produced in me, for Him to do whatever He wants to do with me, I can know I have the answer to that prayer because that's how He would have me pray. And there's a lot of things I don't have an explicit will for. And I might pray over them, health things or others, you know, financial things or whatever, but not having clear direction from the Word, I, I have to submit those things to His will, and decide to be happy with the way He answers. I might not like it. It might cause me grief. But big picture, I'm going to be joyful about it because I know He's got me and He's up to good stuff. Our relationship with Christ is intimately connected with the Word of God. i got to move on. Next, abiding in Christ means abiding in His love. What does that mean? Well, walking through this life confident of His love, right? That'll cast out fear of judgment as I'm confident in His love that He died for me. He paid the penalty for my sins. He's raised and is reigning for me. He loves me first. 
And I'm confident of that. And that cross shows me that. Don't look around at your circumstances or your feelings. Look to the cross to know Christ loves you. Child of God. And then abiding in His love means kind of like, you know, His word abiding in me. Me returning love to Him by walking in His commandments. In chapter 14, He said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Right? John, 1 John 5, 3, For this is love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. In other words, we don't see His commandments as, Oh, gosh, i got to do that again. I really wish I didn't have to do that. I'd rather do this over here. That's the commandments being burdensome because they're getting in the way of what we really want to do. But if we've, we've got a new heart that's abiding in Christ, we've received a transformed heart that now is like the psalmist delighting in his law and grieving when we fail. This is the love of God that we keep His commandments and we see them as our desire and our delight. See, the law teaches us how to love, doesn't it? It teaches us how to love God. It teaches us how to love neighbor. And then the law of Christ, if you want to put it that way, is Christ amping that up to say, not just love your neighbor as you love yourself, but love one another the way I have loved you. Ooh. I'll never do that perfectly, that kind of self-sacrificial, you first love. I see a lot of testimonies online that say, I am second. You're not. You're not second. You're third at least. God first, others next, then you. I'm not getting over, I mean, I'm not saying none of that stuff is good. I'm just saying maybe rethink the title. I'm down the list. That would be a better one. <laughs> Think of others as more important than yourself, Paul says. Think about, the, the law teaches me how to love. So the commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. And you go through your life tomorrow and you get home and you say, I didn't commit adultery, I kept the commandments. Really? Boy, that's a low bar. How about looking at other people with lust? Jesus said that was adultery. But think about the way the commandments are interpreted and applied. Not only am I not to do the sinful thing, but I'm to do the righteous thing. So in order to keep the command, thou shalt not commit adultery, you need to be cherishing your spouse. Not just not cheating on them. Silly things like, well, it don't matter where I got my appetite as long as I eat at home. That's adultery. But see, we belittle the commandment. We don't see the positive side of it. If, if, you're, if you're just not cheating on your wife, that's good. I, I'm, I'm, praise God or your husband. Don't do that. But in order to keep the commandment, the commandment is showing us how to love. It's not only showing us what not to do, it's showing us what to do. So in order to be, not be an adulterer, I need to be cherishing my wife, my husband. Blessing them, seeking to build them up, seeking to serve them, seeking to honor Christ in the way that I live. Seeking to love. Love is the fulfillment of the law, right? So love is not just not doing the bad thing. It's doing the good thing. And in that way, keeping it. Well, let me stop. There, there, there's a promise here. I said stop. I'm fooling you. Let me move on. There's a promise at the end here. 
These things I've spoken to you about abiding in me and me abiding in you. What is our purpose here, Lord? Or one of them. He says this, that or in order that, purpose statement, my joy may be in you. And look, and that your joy may be full. You want to be deliriously joyful? Abide in Jesus. Follow Jesus. Think like Jesus. See Him as your treasure. Follow Him through the tears of both joy and sorrow in this life, knowing that He is your righteousness. He is your forgiveness. He is your eternal life. That you will be in the new heavens and the new earth with Him forever and that everything He providentially brings into your life in this world now has to work for you to make you more like Him. See, see, joy doesn't depend on me getting my way. That means I'm God, not Him. Joy means me looking to Him. And if you'll do that for me, what will you withhold from me that is good? Jesus wants us to be joyful. And He knows since He created us where that joy is really to be found. And it's to be found in loving Him and abiding in Him and following Him. And trusting Him and seeking Him and lining my heart and my life up with what He has revealed in His Word by the power of His Spirit. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that He's at work in you. Go read the verses. He's producing in you steadfastness, Christian character, Christ-like character. You're attached to the vine. So the trials and hardships of this life, though they are still there, must make you more fruitful now because the Spirit is at work in you. So let me wrap it up with a few applications. Abiding in Christ means making Him the object of your faith. You're looking to Him. You're trusting in Him. He is eternal life. Your hope is in Him. True faith accepts, receives, and rests upon Christ alone for justification, sanctification, eternal life. True faith abides in Him. Are you one who has true faith? Number two, abiding in Christ, we are confident, means we are confident of His love and we seek to love Him by following Him and obeying Him. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. This is a statement of fact. I don't think he was frowning when he said that. Right? Probably a look of love to the disciples, just telling them the truth. So number three, abiding in Him means we are living in and from His Word. We're confident of His love. We're seeking to love Him, so we are living in and from His Word. We meet Christ in His Word. In and by His Word, Jesus lays hold of us. In response, we lay hold of him. Psalmist said it, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Law, big picture, all the word. Is it your meditation? Are you abiding in Christ that way? Number four, abiding in Christ means praying in line with his will. It means praying kingdom-centered prayers. Go read the Lord's Prayer again, Matthew 6. And let that shape how we pray this way. Pray, pray abiding prayers. Prayers of submission and dependence and, and trust and hope. Not always praying to get everything your way, but praying that everything in you would go His way. <laughs> Kingdom-centered prayers. 
So abiding in Christ means joyfully obeying Him in everything. Being the wise builder, Jesus said, would, would put His words into practice. Abiding in Christ means living in His joy. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. We're going to sing that around Christmas. And it's really about His second coming, but I won't spoil it for you. Um, joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. As we submit to Him, we'll begin to enjoy Him more. As we get off the throne, we'll begin to enjoy Him more. I was talking with, a, with a, somebody the other day and, and I asked the question, are you enjoying God? And that was a completely new concept. And that's a good self-examination though, isn't it? Am I enjoying God? In the midst of my hardship, in the midst of my trial, because I'm trusting Him that He's at work in and for me. See, number seven, abiding in Jesus is just another way to speak about following Jesus. Sanctification, growth in grace, justification, His salvation. And thinking of the the, 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 the picture I started with of the, the disconnected, dried out, fruitless branch. And then the other picture of the connected, healthy, fruit-filled branch. Which branch best represents you? Maybe you're really dry today because you have been ignoring the means of grace. I mean, you're here, so I'm preaching to the choir in some extent. But you're not daily in His Word. You're not communing with Him in prayer. And you feel kind of weak and dry. Ding, 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 ding. Let that teach you something. But it might be that you're professing faith and coming to Christ while your heart's still tied out there. You've brought your dried, withered branch into the church, but good news, you've heard the gospel, which is the answer to transform that dry, withered branch into a fruitful branch. Are you that withered, disconnected branch that's disconnected really from the true vine that's not abiding in Christ? Or are you a healthy branch that is abiding in Christ and drawing life from Him and sap from Him through His Word? And He is growing you. Yes, you're not glorified yet, but you are trusting in Christ and Christ alone and trusting that all things must work for you. And you're seeing Him grow you as you walk through this life with Him. If you are a healthy branch, you are connected in union with the Lord Jesus Christ and you will abide in Him and grow in it and you will grow and produce fruit that will both honor His name and be a blessing and a joy-causing agent in your life. Abide in Jesus and find in Him all that your soul desires and really needs to live as Christ. <laughs> Even the kids. Let's pray. Father, we praise you. We thank you. Lord Jesus, we praise you as our true prophet, the one who tells us the truth. And I pray that these truths examine us and that we can be by your grace and the work of the Spirit honest with ourselves on whether or not we are abiding in you whether or not we know you, whether or not we are 
trusting you or ignoring you or half-stepping with you. Those of us who are your children, Lord, cleanse us from our sin and failure to focus on truly abiding for you and in you and living for you. Revive and renew and refresh us in, in a love for you that flows out of your love for us and your sacrifice of yourself for us. A heart that trusts you and feeds upon you through your word and walks by the spirit of the living God to live a growing life in Christ. Those who don't know you, Lord, those who really are, if they could see in, a, in, a, in an abiding mirror whether or not they're truly abiding, those who are withered branches, thank you that you save sinners. Thank you that your grace is free to us. Cause them, work in them to see and be convicted by their sin and to repent and trust Christ. Work in us according to your will, Lord. We know we don't know everything. We, the secret things belong to you. But save and sanctify your people. Revive and bless your church. Help us to be light and salt in this dark world and to point people where they can find hope and peace and, yes, even joy in the midst of the challenges of life here. Bless us, grow us, save us, work in us. Do what only you can do and what only you know needs to be done in each heart. We praise and thank you, Lord Jesus, for teaching us about abiding in you. May it be our meditation as we go forth from here. We give you all the praise and ask it, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, by your Holy Spirit. Amen.